This is the Saddler's Post, conversations on horses, leather trade, and the art of saddlery, with our host, Christian Love. Today on the Saddler's Post podcast, I have Eris and Tess from All Together Leather. Welcome to the Saddler's Post podcast, guys. Thank you. We're Hello. very excited to be here. Fantastic. So, um, I... I was excited to have you guys on because it's touching on a part of the industry. First off, from your website, that's all I know about you because I've been researching, is that you know you're covering everything from uh, shoe repair, some cobbling, um, custom leather work. You're um, doing repairs, like you know, of precious treasured leather goods that people want. Um, and I should note, that's all in uh, British Columbia. You're in Vancouver area? Yeah, yeah. what don't we do? And yeah, we're in East Vancouver, um, okay. along Commercial Drive, Vancouver. I... <laughs> Perfect. So, and the, I think the part that fascinated me the most is um, just the range of everything you cover, which... Um, anytime I've ever tried to step out of my little world of saddlery, I realize that my other skills are lacking or non-existent, you know, and, and pattern, pattern making being one of them. So I know with what you guys are doing, your pattern making would have to be on point. So how, how did we get, f- I mean, how, how are all these skills is this something learnt at, you know, the knee of a parent or mentor or like it can't just be leather work. I think that's too general of a term. So can I get a bit of a history and a background? Um, I went to art school um, and studied fine arts and was always kind of a hands on person and knew how to sew from middle school, basically. Um, but took some courses or a course through VCC, Vancouver Community College, and one through Langara University at one point um, when I just first started getting into working in shoe repair, um, which was sort of my first entry into leather work. And I do feel like those classes kind of made a big difference for me, at least in just thinking about how patterns work and thinking about how sewing works. Um, But otherwise, a lot of it ends up being learned on the job, not you know, not necessarily on customer's items. Sometimes it's because I want to make a bag or because I want to make a something. Um, and so that gets, you know, kind of pulls me in personally and then you get excited about it. Um, but also sometimes people bring us an item and the actual act of sewing it or the act of repairing it feels very similar to something we've done before. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, now we do bags because bags are actually very similar to shoes. Um, whereas garments and bags are a little different maybe or garments and shoes are a little different, but it's kind of an sort of expanded that way because there is a lot of similarities in what we repair yeah i feel like our very large range of services plays to both tess's and i's different skill sets and the fact that the machinery that we have can actually service across so many different types of industries um so i got into the leather work industry because i was shoe shining in montreal to help pay my way through university and that kind of snowballed into me um working in a cobbling shop and then working in vintage markets and eventually I started doing leather work out of this really cool leather and motorcycle gear consignment store on Main and 16th in Vancouver. It's called Eastside Rerides 
Um, and the owner, Elaine Miller, was kind enough to mentor me in terms of opening a small leather business out of her business. And I basically just started picking up everything that her customers really needed. So that was sleeve shortenings and jacket tapers. And then people wanted, you know, knife cases molded and belts made. Um, and at the same time, I was also working in shoe repair shops. And Tess and I met in a shoe making factory. Um, and it, it really snowballed into something wonderful. That's cool. Because that's the part that I'm kind of really excited about discussing is so over the years I have tried like my dream is to create a, a cooperative or I, I I have this kind of really romantic idea of you know creators in a creative space you know doing their creative thing and the business side of it though isn't just this you know corporate like what you see in the industry is that makers slowly graduate to an office in the corner somewhere and they're never on the tools again and it's all just bottom line and that's where personally I see in the horse industry where they start actually just slowly not hiring makers anymore and apprenticing people because they realize oh that's expensive I'll just buy it in hang it on the wall right and like from what I can understand, I mean, you guys are like have this space and that you're that you're using it as a creative outlet. But it's also seems to me like that cooperative spirit. Is, is that correct? Yeah, most definitely. We have a team, a small team of staff um, and Eris and I would not be able to run the scale of business that we do yeah. without the people that work for us it just w would not be possible to to do physically emotionally mentally etc um yeah. so we're you know super grateful for the people who find us and you know decide that that's the that's also their passion that they also want to make and repair um you know, it's a modern world and it, when we first opened i thought you know it might be hard to sell people on it but um you know, haven't hasn't had that thankfully so yeah we really good. Most of the people that we hire and work with are also people who've gone to art school, who maybe have their own small business. Um, my first hire, who, bless them, I love them, they saved me in so many ways, um, is a carpenter by trade and who needed to take a break from working in that industry during COVID and who came and worked with me for a while because I knew how to sew. Um, and so those transfers of skills as well, like we work with a lot of bike mechanics who are able to just figure out how things work and fix them. Um, People from the theater, theater programs in general, yeah. like have a lot of, again, it's that type of person who's kind of willing to pick up a different skill or pick up something or look at it and go, you know, how can I glue yeah. this or how can I, you know, sew this or, um, so theater is really good for that. I think it encourages different ways of thinking and different ways of approaching projects. So, yeah. And I think there is a, like a lot of, um, camaraderie what is that word camaraderie thank you <laughs> um between our staff with everybody who like is doing their own projects at home and is also really here for repair culture in terms of environmental sustainability um yeah. we do once a week we open our studio and we stay late for our staff to use the machines on all their own projects and i've been blown away by some of the things that our staff have made while we're 
you know, fixing the zipper that's overdue. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it ends up making that kind of community feeling yeah. um, because everyone's, again, for an evening, for example, choosing to be there. Like, they work for us. They're paid during the day, but they also are choosing to stay to work on something of their own or to start a new project or they're not, you know, making customer goods at that time. So it's exciting. That's, yeah, it's interesting that mentality, I think it's the best approach because obviously you want people around you that are passionate about making, creating, you know, whether it's leather or not. But the fact is, what do you think? They just clock off at five o'clock and go home and watch reruns of something? I don't think so, right? I mean, they they want to be creating all the time, right? So that's amazing that because all of that infrastructure, the tools, the you know the just even the simple whether it's a press or a sewing machine or something it it's it's awesome that that it's there and that they can do that it hurts my heart thinking about it just sitting overnight alone <laughs> no one here <laughs> no one yeah. using that <laughs> but. it is it's interesting like when i first bought um uh, i have a 20 ton clicker press and it was kind of after a sewing machine, the first kind of commercial piece of equipment. And um, it's 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 a very expensive paperweight because I never did end up getting into this me- like production of multiple pieces. It was, I, you know, the idea when I bought it was like, oh, I can... I can start, you know, marketing, say, promotional materials, whether it's a leather coaster or a keychain. And then you realize, I don't want to make keychains. <laughs> that sounds like the most boring thing I could ever think of. And then you think, I'll have someone run it for me. And, you know, and it just never, it never panned out. So, yeah, every time I look at that machine, I swear it's like the most expensive looking at machine I've ever bought. <laughs> We always say as a piece of advice for people who are getting into leather work is to buy the tools that you actually need while you are making things rather than what you think you're going to need. Because you can make more than you think with an extremely basic set of... um... I wish we followed that advice. (laughs) That being said, we are also collectors. Yeah, Yeah, we're not good at that, but uh, in theory, that is the way you should do it. Giving advice and following your own advice are, are... two different things right do as i say not as i do but it's the same i know when people approach me about like oh i'm gonna buy a set of punches and a set of and i'm like i don't think you'll ever use more than two or three out of a whole set (laughs) but i could be wrong but why don't you just buy those two or three and you you'll see and the fact is at least they're quite accessible even if you're ordering from england or somewhere like that it's here in a week you know, if you needed this rare punch that you, <laughs> you know, should have bought, then, you know, order it. You have it shipped, right? We found some very, very nice tools and punches um, just from buying out lots of stores who are closing. That's honestly how we got most of our equipment. Um, yeah. And, like, I am a hobbyist high tanner, and my the knives that I use in terms of membraning and doing that kind of work came out of a leather worker's kit who was just like yeah this was i thought this was for saddlery but i never really used it for saddlery and they're perfect tools um you get lucky you get lucky yeah yeah awesome yeah um yeah it's a little yeah it's nice to be able to come across those used 
tools, especially um, my father is a cabinet maker and he swore up and down like the old steel is the best. If you can find used tools, they're just going to be a better quality of steel and you can put an edge on them beautifully. And and um, I always thought, ah, that's him being cheap. But some of the new tools I've bought, yeah, I'm like, wow, was he ever right? <laughs> like, you know, it's it's pretty... Uh, yeah, sometimes our dads are right. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> once in a while. So uh, where does... Is leather... I mean, you just assume with shoe repair we automatically associate if a shoe's worth repairing it typically is a higher end leather shoe just based on what it costs to fix it so but is leather um like a primary focus for you guys i mean it's 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 woven into everything or is it just one of your um kind of whatever it is like if you want canvas bags won't make canvas bags or is is leather like no nah, that's the medium i want to work in i would say that what people bring us as far as like garment alterations for example we do a lot of leather tailoring they tend to be more leather specific um because there are other tailors that are doing fabric tailoring like suit jackets or dress pants or etc um, and so we're a real niche in that area um with shoes specifically any type of shoe, canvas, fabric, faux leather, leather, because shoes are all kind of construction made the same way, even if the actual upper material is different. Um, and then when it comes to custom work, if someone wanted custom bags, for us, we basically will do anything heavy duty sewing. Something that our machines can do that other people's machines can't do is sort of kind of how we approach so, it. Like heavyweight canvas, wax canvas, denim, leather. Um, the weirdest thick material that I've ever worked with was... The stuff that they use to line dams. I had a bike courier come in and want like a satchel made out of that. Yeah, um, and that was fun. That's cool. Yeah, I love it. See, you're never gonna get exposed to that variety of things unless you have a business like yours. And I, I find myself just personally now because I'm so focused on a certain aspect, not even just in saddlery, but just one very very specific type of work so now i'm i i it doesn't feed the creative side of me but i'm turning away anything that isn't just what that focus is and it's what's good for me because i find i'll lose a whole day just sucked into it's interesting but i and i want the end result to be good so i will just spend all day on it when it's really what can you bill out two hours it, you should be taking two hours on it instead i'm taking eight because it's like switching gears for me is so so hard that's just me personally and how i am so again circling back to you guys like when every day has to be yes you there's similarities between you know that how it's constructed and something completely different and you're like oh same construction techniques but still i i'm totally impressed i don't know how you guys do it 
Thanks. Yeah. It's a lot of switching gears for sure. Um, and Eris and I do all of the intakes at our shop. So our or our staff will do our pickups and our phone answering, but Eris and I do all the intakes. And so on top of jumping between a bag and then a shoe and then a jacket and then and a then customer intake and then teaching or training. And <laughs> so it, it is a lot of uh, jumping. We try and batch things together. We typically batch our shoe days together and like our, um, you know, alteration days together to, to help with the mind for the brains, you know, switching all the time from shoes to jackets, it's a, it's a lot. So, yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, I could never do any anything else. Like, if you gave me the same project over and over again, I, I would lose it. Um, I do think that there's sort of a culture in certain shoe repair and repair shops that they're like, yeah, bring it in. If it's weird, we love it. That like there's sort of a line in the sand where you're either on the end of yes I love it or you're on the end of no I won't take it in um there's a couple of shops here who are shoe repair shops who don't do bags in Vancouver and that is because their entire shop is set up for shoes and boots and that is it it does like bags don't fit in their boxes and so they won't take them in and that can be really limiting for people in terms of accessing repair culture um yeah yeah, I think other people might yeah. like it because they're like in their head, shoes, shoe repair, these things go together. I know that I can't take my bag there, which maybe for us, they find our services confusing. But I also think those, that other flip side is all those other people who go, well, I've got five different things that need repairing. So why wouldn't I bring them to one repair shop yeah. kind of thing? So, yeah. Yeah. So I find it interesting. I, I would think that your, I think you guys offer the service certainly some of my customers think I ought to because <laughs> they think you can do that. Why can't you just fix this for me? And part of it is a little bit like, you know, again, a leather bag that's lined for me to get in there. I have to remove the lining, which means a heck of a lot of fussing. I just, I think I get turned off by the fussiness of it. And then to realize that, yeah, that one rivet that's, put in there by whether it's Gucci or even if it's like I, I don't mean to be like oh it's a high-end bag I find the higher end the bag the more one-off exclusive the hardware is where if it's say something that's just built sturdy and worth repairing that tends to have more accessible hardware type of thing but it's still um yeah, I'm sure your clients love it that they can just like scoop up everything that they think needs repairing from, uh, you know, like eyelets in skates that get pulled out to, you know, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. So as far as then I got to admit, having the variety, I'm sure it is um, rewarding. Like, you know, you're never bored and there's always a new challenge and things like that. And I'm just at a stage where I'm like, yeah, the reason I'm shrinking down what I offer and 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 focusing is because I almost find it um, like, yeah, I'm not sure what the art is called, but, you know, the where they make those lines in the sand. And it's just like raking sand. It's zen-like <laughs> for me. It's just kind of like, I'm, it's not that I don't want to challenge myself. I'm challenging myself on a very micro level now where it's just like, yeah, it's just 
you know, very specific stuff with saddles that, and as, as makers or what's happening is people enter the saddle industry specifically, they enter with very base knowledge, either find it overwhelming and leave the industry or they, they're like, yeah, I can be successful, but I don't want to go through and learn everything. Like I just want to do the basics and that's where a lot of the money can be made like quick easy money whereas I'm kind of like that where that and that's how I entered I'm like okay just show me the basics and you know really I want to be more sales focused than than actual craft work and then realizing like oh no I'm just addicted to the craft part and that actually will help sales as well but um it's 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 fun being in that area that's a little rarefied so there's you know maybe three people in canada who are capable and really good at doing something very specific on a saddle like you know so is are there things in your own business where you're like no 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 in vancouver we're the ones for this this is this is our unique yeah, straight up leather alterations. We are the best shop in Vancouver for tailoring leather gear. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's lots of shoe repairs and there are great shoe repairs in Vancouver. Not to say that we aren't also a great shoe repair, but are we the best in, in Vancouver? Probably not. I mean, there's some really great shops. It's it's tough. Um, for leather alterations, we do a damn good job. Sorry to swear. But um, yeah. we do a damn good job on it. It's uh, And same, I mean, bag alter or bag repair as well I feel like is one um where we end up doing a yeah doing a real good job yeah I mean the tricky part we find with training in the same kind of way is that people are learning you know when we're training at least people are learning so many different things at one time that it can be tricky I'm sure for them to feel like they're improving at like sleeve shortenings let's say because they only did one sleeve shortening this week and then two weeks later they'll do another two or three and they'll, you know, because our work varies every week. And so it's, uh, we don't really get to hire someone and be like, you are a specialist of sleeve shortenings for, you know, weeks at a time. It's also because every <laughs> single jacket that comes into the store is different. Like when you are a maker, you get to choose all of your own materials. You get to choose your patterns. You know how you do things. But when something is coming in for repair or alteration, somebody else has made it and Maybe they're a small person who's used all the best materials, or maybe they're a massive corporation that's cut corners um, as much as possible for costs. And so you don't entirely know what's going to be inside of something when you open it up. And you yeah. just have to, you just have to know how to <laughs> go deal with, with seams and go with the flow <laughs> and pattern um, and measure. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I imagine a sleeve shortening is a heck of a lot different than say um putting the like taking in the waste of, of you know making you know putting darts in or something like that where it's like not done correctly <laughs> will look like the last thing you want is a repair i spend a lot of time talking with clients about this is like to me yeah we we want something to be especially in saddlery safety first who cares what it looks like but after the safety we do care what it looks like and the last thing you want is someone's eye drawn to the exact spot you worked on like 
you want the you want it almost to be the the compliment being i can't even tell right yeah, yeah which is you know the an odd way to <laughs> market your business is like can't even tell they did anything <laughs> totally it is my favorite handing back an item and especially because I don't get to touch every item in the shop. Sometimes I'll do an intake, but maybe one of our staff will work on it and they check it out. It emails the customer. The customer comes to pick it in. And I go to give it back and I go, wow, we, it says we did this thing and we definitely did it because there's nothing broken on the bag. But I, I'm pretty sure it's this side because it's got to be this side, right? You know, it's got to look like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. can't tell. And how, you know, I know we talked a little bit and this is my style here i'm bouncing around all over the place but as far as when you're bringing people in are you know staff or help is it more it's really rare that you're going to find someone walk in saying yep i'm knowledgeable i'm comfortable with all the tools i have you know just point me in the right direction because typically they're already running their own shop right or they're no interest in being part of somebody else, right? Um, so how much time do you invest in training people? Like everyone would need to be trained, I guess. Everyone needs to be trained. <laughs> we have two different sort of job sections. One is in shoe repair and one is in sort of sewing. Um, sewing meaning leather alterations, bag liners, that kind of stuff. Um, we do a three-month training period on either stream um and it is i would even say we realistically probably are doing six month training period yeah. three months is the initial like you need to be handheld probably we try to hire people who have sewing experience or yeah. making experience or some relative related confidence confidence exactly some relative yeah. track and kind of similarity but the th first three months are definitely you're really shadowing us a lot or you know i really coming to us for every item, every question, every kind of turn and corner versus that next three months, you're still really training because you probably haven't done a lot of the jobs that we do yet, but you've got that base knowledge that you don't maybe need us for every question. You can start to figure out some of their own questions yeah, or you answers. Can, you can do all the whole patches and like the simple zippers yeah. at the beginning of the week without us. And then towards the end of the week, we'll come in and start teaching you you know, the darts or the tapers or the handbag relining or, hey, that upholstery needs to be repicked or something like that. Um, yeah, we've yet to hire anyone that has a lot of experience, um, in part because as a brand new business, it's really tricky to pay living wages in Vancouver yeah. in the first, you know, two years. Um, yeah. Obviously, we'd love to. That is 100% the goal. <laughs> it's just we have to get through the first few years first that's interesting so when did you guys start it's uh, our two-year anniversary next uh next week may 4th oh that is exciting i now i wasn't even thinking along those lines it's just just the feel of everything you do i thought all oh, these these you've been doing it forever so again it's that look of professionalism and you know just that you know what you're doing it just makes it feel like yeah you've always been there <laughs> so yeah it is it's very difficult i find the the for makers for craftspeople for artisans to to do the business side of it it's just like a completely different skill set that's almost like 
you know that you're not wired for like how do you you know it's you know. i know a lot of really wonderful skilled beautiful makers who are terrible bosses mm-hmm. um, and we really did not want to be that because we've encountered that too much in this industry so we took it upon ourselves to make sure that if we were opening a business and hiring a staff that we were going to treat them really well and set them up for success both within our business but also what they wanted to do once they left us um yeah i also think that having two people in yes. like as heads of the business together makes a really big difference i am not numbers minded if i was doing the finances for this business it would not be a business uh and if eris was doing the customer service and i wasn't here it also might not be a business and so <laughs> not that this is a good customer service but i'm also not the worst at math so you know depends um yeah. it's just not but that's what makes a, a you know, great team yeah right i yeah. mean that's the whole point of of collaborating is you you don't need the same weaknesses or strengths you need complementing areas right and and accepting that and i think also um you know in the jitterbug uh boy podcast we, we talked a little bit about you know would he love to pay more absolutely but everyone's there because their heart is bringing them there their passion they're they're allowed to be you know um we talked a little bit about you know the being able to let your freak flag fly right and just be yourself in that environment i mean how many people have to go to work and pretend you know that's there's this shell or veneer of something so i just totally fascinated by places that really encourage like yes you have access one night a week to some machinery to follow because it might be something just totally off the chain that you wouldn't even be thinking of and there it is being created in your space right yeah it's definitely our, our goal to be able to provide both i mean i want i want to be able to pay our staff super well and and also have them like coming to work in a way that isn't related to pay i mean i want them to come to work because they like being paid but also because they really like being here um so who doesn't like being paid yeah. well yeah yeah i was gonna say <laughs> the reality is somehow it's 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 funny that people think when you're passionate about what you do that you don't care about the money but it's like the reality is look uh, it would i turn around and blow it on all on leather and new machinery yes i would but i still need that money <laughs> regardless right so totally. it, it is um an important key component and do you feel that in the general public um you know there's i don't hear about it as much just recently but vegan leather alternatives to leather somehow people have got it into their head that leather somehow isn't friendly to the environment or that they're they need to be not buying leather it's like no 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 you need to be buying leather because the long-term bigger picture you know i believe strongly is like do you do you really want to buy something that's going to be cracking and that you're going to wear out and you know this whole pleather plastic stuff it just doesn't last so you're just you're just borrowing it until it goes to the landfill so how are you are you finding that people are say going through thrift shops picking up cool leather goods and recycling repurposing them or is or 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 
coming to you with like, thank goodness I can, you know, it is environmentally sound, right? To repair rather than replace sometimes. And especially with leather. I mean, I think the oils industry's biggest con was convincing us that plastic was environmentally friendly. Um, it is not repairable. It is not, it does not last more than five to 10 years. It is literally the worst. I hate it more than anything. I think the scariest part for me is that, that they call that they can call it leather because really there's nothing about it that's leather. It's not, there's not, it's not related to an animal product in any way. It looks like leather, but you wouldn't call, you know, certain things that look like something else. You wouldn't necessarily give it that name just because it looks like it. Um, it's so a I, huge marketing con. Yeah, I think that's extremely deceptive for clients. I think a lot of times we have people come in who, I mean, all the time, frankly, come in and go, well, my real leather bag. And you go, well, it's not quite real. And there's a look of shock on their face. And I can't blame them because it looks very convincing. Um, but it just doesn't happen to be real leather. The other thing I'm kind of terrified about is this whole, you know, um, shift towards apple leather and um, mushroom leather and all of these, which are we... really interesting science, but they are not biodegradable. And so calling them like a veg vegetable type leather, like an apple leather or a mushroom leather is, again, a really big misnomer for people. Yeah. And it just continues to feed misinformation about, is this actually ethical? Is it actually sustainable? Are we actually like, you know, doing good things for the earth or not? We did not? a um, big contract for a local city hall a year and a bit ago, um, where they wanted file folders made for all of the judges. And they initially came to us for leather, and then they were worried about getting protested over leather not being environmentally friendly. And we had to sit them down and essentially go like, look, if you don't want to do leather, like, that's fine, but do not choose leather because it will not last and we will not warranty it past three months. Um, and it is worse for the environment. It's going to end up in the landfill. And ultimately they chose, um, a thick cotton canvas, cotton canvas or wax canvas. I don't remember. It was cotton. I yeah. think wax paper bad. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> oily. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is a conversation that people are having. And I also find like our April fool's day Instagram post was calling our business altogether pleather. Um, in, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You know, honor of the biggest con that was ever pulled. And people reacted really, really well for that. So I do think there is a shift of people being aware that the fact that fake leather and vegan leather is plastic and is ultimately bad. Um, yeah. And yeah, we do see people coming in with old leather um, yeah. bags that they found and brought to us for repair that are genuine. As I say, I think the rhetoric is dying down a little bit around leather pleather i just find it such a marketing con job that they're allowed to even say leather when it's not leather it it's it's i i feel the same with anything that's um you know selling a you know it's the same around with meat if it's not meat then just call it what it is I found out that the um, leather industry is not actually um, guidelined in the way yeah. of terms of being like veg tan leather has to have mm. this much vegetable tannins in it and like no chromium. 
that those guidelines and principles aren't actually enforced in any way. And I found that to be very interesting, where I was like, I would actually love to see that. I would love to see companies not be able to label something as genuine leather when oral it is, is blended and pressed. Um, yeah, hot dog leather. Yeah. But you're right, even if, if, if you know, you go through, I remember going through a friend's closet where he was showing me all his belts like beautiful high-end belts and i'm like that's garbage that's garbage and they have very high-end brand names that i was like absolutely shocked and i'm like the problem is and he's like but it's leather it says genuine leather it says this it says that and i'm like the problem is it's such a huge umbrella it's just a category almost like you can't you know, genuine is a ridiculous, you know, um, term almost like it means nothing. And it's, it's, it is quite frustrating, but yeah, I'd be curious. I'm wondering if that's, you know, part of the, uh, a little bit of the issue that people have maybe from an environmental side is not that it's an animal skin or anything else is that, Oh, it's, it's, they just assume like, chromium salts and all this stuff being dumped into a river or something like it's 1850 or something right whereas you know i know that the tanning process now is like you know very like i toured probably four years ago or five years ago a a tannery in france and they were just having this major construction going on and I'm like, oh, are you expanding or something? And they're like, no, no, no. This is this is like, I don't know, a million and a half euros being spent just to meet um, uh, environmental guidelines, um, which is awesome. I mean, the business is there, obviously. The industry is there. And yeah, you do have to take care of um, every manufacturer should be taking care of what they're putting out the back door. Um, and I think as makers, we recognize brands of leather like Herman Oak and Cordovan um but jr and jr yeah Yeah. big one for us um but i would i would like to see some of these smaller productions also developing guidelines in terms of how much of what goes into each side yeah i think the more transparent companies are with their sustainability information the better there's nothing wrong with giving out too much information as far as sustainability goes um, for your, your clients i think the other tricky thing with the pleather and leather debate is that a lot of people there's a lot of misinformation about what leather is and what leather can do and so i think some people end up picking fake leather knowingly because they are thinking well you know if i can't wear leather in the rain let's say is like a common misconception that i hear all the time yeah. then completely untrue completely untrue but then you know i can wear plastic in the rain so like you know this is better kind of thing and, yeah. and so like well that's you know if if this then that but like the first part isn't <laughs> isn't true um so i think there's just so much misinformation about what leather can be relied on for or different types of leather and that doesn't help either i mean lots of people bring us peeling leather and they go well it's it's leather that's peeling and it's like it's actually like if you real leather won't peel like a pleather does yeah and so they think in their head that real leather is peeling and therefore they don't want to invest into a really good quality leather item because it's going to peel but i also want to say like track Sometimes really good quality leather items made from, you know, latigo leather or your top grain, full grain leathers made from small batch producers 
can be as expensive as these large production companies that just have really good branding. Yeah, luxury goods. Luxury mm -hmm. goods. For like, sure. you can get really good, well-made leather items cheaply if you know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And very yep. expensively. I mean, there's leather at yeah. every price range. There's sure. pleather at every price range. That's the tricky part for people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And are you doing anything with... Um... I know Canada is a little stricter than, say, U.S. on exotic leathers, but is there, you know, is it is it mainly um, cow that Most you're doing? Most things are cow. <laughs> Most things are cow. Uh, some shearling as well, but we do get some exotics in. Um, it, we have a lot in the studio, but recently there's snakeskin, alligator, crocodile. I just took in a crocodile belt today. Did you? Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. On. Speaking of. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. We see a lot of bison here. Mm -hmm. um, Pony fish hair, which I mean skins. is still cow, but it's a little bit different of a cow, like yeah. finish of a cow. Yeah, fish, salmon skins. Yeah. What was it? There was an eel purse. Yeah, eel skin purse we did recently. Point. Yeah. Um, huh. yeah, we, we see, we see everything. Yeah. 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 Again, I, just cause of my own biases, I'm constantly talking about, um, uh, cow hides, but, uh, and I, for anybody, li for any, any, you know, and because I work in the horse industry, but I, I the cordovan leathers are awesome. I just love it. <laughs> I have to be like very quiet uh, about how my just uh, that I just love how it feels, how it works, how it everything about it, and it's kind of um, um, would not be go over well in my industry <laughs> very much. I actually really love horse leather. I was gonna say we do a lot of horse hijackets. Love horse hijackets. <laughs> yeah. sixties. What is it? It's this? the um, best horse butt from Cordovan from. Yeah, the shell cordovan, I think, is specifically from, uh, you know, that rump area of of a horse. Yeah. The Goodyear sure. Stitch Group. They have horse oh, butt t-shirts. Stitch down, yeah. Stitch down, yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> so what's in this, you know, it, you know, really young for a business? I mean, is it... What what's the long view? Are we talking like growth? You know, specializing in certain areas. Um, you know, or I mean, really, I think especially as economy, I find people who can repair things. Like I've been in the industry long enough now, where you see, you know. Yes, new sales will drop and fluctuate with economy. The repairs never, ever drop. They never do. Like, I just haven't seen it. And and as things get worse, they tend to be like, I'll just get it repaired. It's cheaper than buying new. And it's kind of like, you're like, yep, just keep getting that repaired. <laughs> because really, as far as I'm concerned, repairing something from a business point of view, my overheads are a lot lower. I'm, I'm not trying to produce something from new, which is, yeah, if I, I'm, I'm not, you know, having to buy in, uh, you know, a lot of expensive inventory and then going through that inventory and picking the best out of that inventory to work on your project and, you know, every little bit of 
scrap I'm looking at, okay, what else can I turn that into to make sure I'm getting maximum dollar out of this um, hide? Whereas a repair is like, yeah, a little patch, some thread, and 90% of your overhead is your time, right? So what's, you know, where, where what areas are you specifically kind of looking at, you know, hey, for this to keep, you know, in five years' time? I mean, I think for both of us, in five years' time, our goal is to have a really succinct, efficient team. Yeah. Um, the more efficient we are, the more, like, prepared we are and well-trained we all are, the faster we can complete repairs and the more repairs we can do. And I think that just frees up Eris and I's time to explore other kind of things that are exciting to us that are kind of under the umbrella of what we do already but maybe we haven't really given a moment or haven't been able to give a moment's thought to um kind of thinking about more yeah i think you you kind of touched on it right there too is uh i found that the profit or my increase in profit isn't about more business it's doing the business more efficiently so yeah for you maybe whether it's a simple hem uh, of a sleeve you've got to get that down to you know it's it's like a restaurant with uh, I think they call it turns like how many how many seatings if dinner's two hours are you going to serve 20 people or are you going to serve 35 people in that two-hour period and the quicker you can get them seated fed and out then you're freed up to to do more right Mm-hmm. yeah totally yeah without cutting back on quality yeah yeah and, exactly yeah accessibility from a customer point of view i mean we have an eight-year lease here which is uh incredibly rare in vancouver and we fought really hard for that because we knew that it was going to take us that long to set up a business and to figure out all of our systems in a synced synced way to start making a profit in reality and we've been doing very well in our first two years um, but Tess and I sit down and have a goal setting session every year and the things that always come up are taking more personal time for ourselves and figuring out, you know, personal life balance. Um, yeah, and like an ongoing list of projects. Like I think yeah. what's on our goal sheet ends up being or like our plans for the year ends up being a lot of stuff of being like we would either love to introduce this service, but we know that we both need to do like a lot of troubleshooting behind the scenes on that machine, for example, or like that type of thing or, and so just being able to put in that time, you know, for, for Eris and I to sit down and do it is the, is the tricky part sometimes. In terms of where the business could go, like there are a lot of places that we could take it. Mm -hmm. Um, It could stay as it is and just be a very accessible community shop. We could increase workshops and have people coming into the space and learning things more. We could make it appointment only and be a little more discerning about what items we accept, uh, which is a little bit less accessible, but probably easier in terms of our turnover and our training. Um, We could go and make it a custom workshop in four or five years. I don't, I think we decided between ourselves that we would sit down when there's two years left on our lease and sort of envision. yeah, I mean, so we sit down and envision all the time. We just haven't quite <laughs> figured out. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, you know, as far as the podcast goes, you know, the the you know the kind of premise was that, you know, that you know the messages I get later, you know, from uh, 
from other makers like hey had you on in the shop today and it's it's those conversations that i'm interested in having because we don't we don't get together we don't i don't you know the only reason i'm meeting people like yourself is because i'm getting on the internet and searching for very particular type of person i want to interview because i i want to meet people like you and it's and i and i know that other makers are curious like you know when you're a one person show you're sitting down and goal setting is kind of uh i don't know you're in your head all day every day <laughs> it's like you know apart from my alter egos sitting down which are you know just you know spend more <laughs> you know it's like not... there's a space in vancouver that you would really like and it's called maker labs um and it is, is it a full building yeah it's two buildings actually oh. um that that have it's like a maker space essentially um but yeah. they can either rent as a membership it's very community focused they're really lovely yeah they have a cnc shop and a sewing area and a whole bunch of other things and you buy a membership um and then you have access to the machines once you're trained on them and you can go in and like reserve your spot and make things and yeah. brooklyn shoe space in new york as yeah. well that was at least before the pandemic was doing that type of thing too like a shoe making co-working space and i think yeah. you know we've talked about Stitching what that could look like well or in toronto yeah shop and taylor shop and taylor yeah. um we've talked about sort of what that looks like if for example in five years we wanted to have it as a co-working space we wanted to open up the community and i think we're we're pretty we're heading into the future pretty open-minded i think there's not really anything that's necessarily off the table beyond closing although i mean there are things of course that could force our hand but i mean the the future i feel like for us is just kind of figuring out what is really working for us and i think eris and i are both really good at um thinking on our feet i guess what i'm trying to say yeah. we're both pretty good at pivoting and both pretty good at going you know wow we haven't really been taking in a lot of this service or maybe it's not profitable or you know maybe we want to switch it around maybe maybe we do something different so yeah i think the the key word is the the pivot i think that that's one thing i hope that i've been good at is i don't get so emotionally attached to um it helps with a little bit of add where you're kind of like I know I said I all I ever wanted to do was this, but the reality is like, you know, pivoting to something that's either more lucrative or the fact that, you know, I'm the type of person I actually have to walk in that in in that track for me to realize, even though I know it's better financially, I hate this. I cannot carry on doing this every day. I'd rather make less and enjoy what I'm doing or, you know, but I, I just have to learn from making the mistake or test driving at first. So, you know, I think that's kind of the, another cool aspect of you guys being welcoming of having people come in. I'm sure if someone's on a little sabbatical, like, yeah, if I do another week of carpentry, I'm going to lose my mind. But, um, you know, I, you know, I quit and drove truck for a year, you know, and it really opened my mind to the reality of, yeah, I didn't realize how much being creative or just a sense of accomplishment 
was important to my mental health and well-being. So, but I literally had to leave what I was doing, <laughs> go do something else and realize like, oh yeah, there's something that sucks more than what I was doing. But it, <laughs> and it turns out I actually love what I'm doing. So yeah, it's, it's it, it. But that sabbatical being open to going, yeah, you don't know. Like you might, you might just meet someone who sparks a whole new industry like you know that someone says oh you know they use leather for such and such and such a trade like you know occasionally I have a factory reach out to me they need they have a i don't know like a 80 year old crane that takes leather washers and bushings and i'm like i'm all over that as a little palate cleanser it's totally boring work but at the same time it's like they like to source locally yeah that's a cool and one. i get to use my press <laughs> yeah so yeah. it's like wow you know mm-hmm, for yeah sure. very cool well i don't want to um belabor any points i've loved uh talking with you guys and you know the the floor's open if there's anything you want to add or or go down any avenues it's it's entirely up to you will say something new to us that we're trying uh this coming month is we are heading up to whitehorse for a week at the end of may um to teach a week's worth of and do a week's worth of intake on goods up at the recycle depot in uh in whitehorse because they don't have someone who does shoe repair or does jacket and alterations up there and so we're super excited to get to kind of go somewhere else that either doesn't have that service but also get to you know see somewhere new for us too so yeah. that is yeah. really cool how that's i hope that you're going to be sharing a lot of that journey on uh, social media and stuff because uh i think that would be really really interesting mm-hmm. yeah. yeah our yeah, socials are uh instagram and facebook and tiktok all a w l together leather and our um, website is www.awltogetherleather.ca um yeah. Awesome. Yeah, follow awesome. Yeah, when we uh, um, drop the podcast, we'll make sure there's links to all uh, everything in there. Well, awesome. I really appreciate you guys coming on, taking the time. I know you've uh, at the end of your uh, working day, so happy so, too. Yeah. This has been lovely. Yeah, thank you so much, much for having us. Super. So this is Eris and Tess, and we've been so happy to be on the Sadler's Post podcast. Someone can say our name. <laughs> We're all together, <laughs> This has been the Saddler's Post with Christian Lowe. Thank you for listening. The Saddler's Post is sponsored by Christian Lowe Leather Care. Visit ChristianLowe.ca.